We are in the book of Ephesians and will be for a while. Um, <clears throat> the book of Ephesians was written by Paul uh, from prison. Paul writes to a little church in a town called Ephesus. That's why we call it Ephesians. Uh, the book is six chapters, but basically it's divided up into the first three and the last three. The first three talk about your riches in Christ, and that's kind of where we are right now. We're going to come to the con- end of that here in the next couple of weeks. And then the next three talk about your responsibility. Okay, because you have, this, because you have these um, riches in Christ, what do you do with it? And so the last part of, the, of, of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 so the first three are more theological, doctrinal. The last three are more practical. We talked about chapter one, where Paul explains the role of God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit in your salvation. And he lays out in chapter one the idea that God, um, God chose you, God um, adopted you, um, God uh, blesses you. And we talked about the role of Jesus Christ, that Christ redeems you, um, he forgives you, and he continues to pour out and into your life every day. And then we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit, that he helps you understand the scriptures and that he seals you. He makes you his own. Then we get into chapter two and we talk about, Paul talks about the idea that it's important for you to understand that before you came to Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. There was no way that you had any relationship to God. You were actually God's enemy, but God offered salvation to you. And so by faith um, uh, and grace, because of God's grace upon you and offering you salvation, by faith you put your faith and trust in Christ. And when you do that, the Bible's very clear that you're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. So you can't work your way or earn your way or do anything to make yourself appealing to God. It is only by accepting his offer of salvation. And Paul talks about that, and he talks about what all that means. We get into chapter 3, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And the people in Ephesus somehow had gotten word to Paul that they were, they, they were a little upset about Paul's circumstances. And they couldn't understand why God would allow a, a bad thing like Paul being in prison to happen to a good guy. And you're going to see this morning, this really was a big issue to them. This really struggled with them. And we talked about this idea a couple of weeks ago of why does God allow, quote-unquote, bad thing to happen to good people. And um, we came to a couple conclusions. And, you know, one of the conclusions is the idea that, you know, first of all, we're not good. Um, secondly, uh, we talked about the idea that, that God has a bigger plan in mind. And you're going to see that again this morning as Paul continues with this idea. So with that in mind, we're in Ephesians chapter 3, and we are going to tackle kind of the middle section of it. And here's what he said. Paul says, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. So let's talk about this section. Right off the bat, notice what he says. I am the least of all God's people. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Paul is so excited to convey this to, the, to, to the, the people at Ephesus. Paul does something that, he, he does it again here. He did it, he did it in the first part of chapter 3. He's just going to do it again. Paul starts making up words. Have you ever gotten so excited about something that you just start making up? So, let, let me put it this way. Have you ever gotten so mad at your kids that you start putting words together that don't go together? I mean, you just start throwing. Okay, well, here's the idea. 
Paul, is, Paul, is, Paul goes, though I am the least deserving of all God's people. Literally, here's what Paul says. I am the least of the least. I mean, I don't know what that means. I mean, it's like, okay, take the bottom now. I'm less than that. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm the least of the least deserving of all God's people. But he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. This idea of endless treasure, again, it's another word. Um, some translations call it unfathomable riches. Um, it's used one other time in the Bible, in the book of Romans, chapter 1. And he talks about the unfathomable ways of God. And what he says, is, what, he, what Paul's saying is, if you take everything that Jesus Christ has done for you when you got saved, it is incomprehensible how much God did for you. And Paul said, I, the least of the least of guys, get the privilege, the incredible privilege of telling about those riches to the Gentiles. Now, you've got to put yourself in first century. In first century, Paul was a Jew. Paul was a devout Jew. Paul was working his way up probably to be one of the highest and most intelligent Jews. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the smartest teachers of the day. A Jew, a, and, and I'm not, don't, don't read into this, but a Jew-Jew, okay, and that's not a candy, um, a, a, a Jew, a really die-hard Jew, every day got up and prayed, God, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile. That was one of their prayers. A devout Jew wanted nothing to do with Gentiles. In fact, they called them dogs, and they went even beyond that. They called them filthy dogs. And Paul says, and you need to think like scavenger dog, wild dog. That's how they looked at Gentiles. And Paul, who was this devout Jew, says, God, I'm the least of the least of the saints, and God gave me the privilege to tell about the unlimited treasures of God to the Gentiles. And by the way, Paul's in prison because he took a Gentile into an area in a Jewish court, in a Jewish synagogue deal, or a Jewish temple deal, he wasn't allowed to go into, and the Jews wanted him to be in prison over it, and he appealed to Caesar, and now he's waiting to stand before Caesar. And so he's there because of the Gentiles, because he tried to share with them Christ. And notice what he says. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, hath kept secret from the beginning. He said, you need to understand that. I, I, I am overwhelmed at the fact that God saved me and God is letting me do this. And then notice what he says. He goes on. Um, verse 10. God's purpose in all of this, now again, he's, he's writing for prison. God's purpose in all of this is to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. We're going to talk about this in a second. This was his eternal plan, which carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul now continues this idea, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that in, in, in that world there were Jews and there were Gentiles. And Paul introduces the idea that there's Jews, there's Gentiles, and now there's the church. It's a different entity completely. <clears throat> it's composed of Jews and Gentiles. And Paul says, let me tell you what one of the things that the church is. 
to do. Now, this is going to be new for some of you, so I've got to give you a little bit of background, okay? He says one of the roles of the church, God's people, is to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. <clears throat> this is a concept we saw in chapter 1. The, and King James says principalities and powers, okay? You see it again in chapter 3, and you're going to see it again in chapter 6. So we need to talk about this idea of principalities and powers, okay? What Paul talks about when he's talking about this is the idea of the unseen world. You and I don't realize it, we don't know it, but the reality of it is this morning as we sit gathered here, there is an unseen world that we can't see, that's why we call it the unseen world, taking place right now around us, above us, below us, beside us continually, which we don't see, okay? That world is composed of unseen powers and principalities, is the way the King James would say it. He calls it here rulers and authorities in heavenly places. The idea is that there is a battle, there's this unseen battle going on around us. <clears throat> so the question is, who's involved in all of that? And there are, there are three options when you study this passage out. Option number one is, Paul's talking about the holy angels. The angels whose main purpose is to glorify God. And that the unseen angels are the ones that are watching us, the church, God's people. The other idea is that this is Satan's angels or the fallen angels. Okay? Uh, those who, who fell and followed Satan or Lucifer, son of the morning. So some people believe that what Paul's talking about here is the people who are watching the church, the unseen world that's watching the church, are the fallen angels. Some people believe it's the holy angels, and some people like me believe it's both. Now, this is a fascinating concept, and I, and I just want to wrestle with it for a little bit because it, I think it's really important that we understand this because I think it's an element that you and I don't think about very often. And here's what Paul's saying. The unseen forces are watching, and they are learning from us. Let me say it again. That unseen world is watching and learning from us. For instance, if I'm a Christian and I get up this morning and I have a choice, do I sleep in or do I go to church? Now, let's talk about the unseen battle that took place this morning. Okay? Which group was trying to influence you which way? The unseen world, the fallen angels, that aspect of the world is going, you've had a long week, and you're tired. And you know, you can worship God anywhere. You just need to stay in bed. That heavenly world is watching, going, you've got an opportunity to be with God's people and encourage each other and build each other up and pray and learn from about God and glorify God and, 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 and be together and help each other. And they're both going, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And when you and I make a choice to glorify God, God's holy angels learn about that from us. They learn what it's like to obey and glorify God. And their goal is to glorify God, and they're watching you glorify God, and it's like, oh, this is awesome. God, you're glorified in those people down there. 
Satan, on the other hand, and his host is looking at that going, ah, we lost the, you know, that's okay. We'll get them on. <laughs> Here, here's the way this works. If you haven't figured this out yet. That's okay. They're going to go to church, but they're going to be in a car together. We'll get them then. <laughs> you know, you know, we'll try to get them so that by the time they get to church, they, they're, they're so upset with each other. They, they ain't going to listen to anything. And so that, that this unseen force is learning. And, and, and when they watch you and I do which is right and honor God, then they remember that Jesus Christ has more power than they do. They're watching. They're, they're learning. They're observing us. And Paul here brings up this idea because think about it for a minute. Some of you are like me. There are days that I go and I don't see people. I'm at home by myself. What, do I have a ministry that day? Do I have an opportunity that day? Yes, I do. You know why? Because I've got, I've got holy and fallen angels watching. And I'm either going to be, I'm going to encourage one side or the other. And Paul says, one of the things about the church is that, is that the church gets to display, God's people get to display his wisdom in such a wide variety and all unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. He said, that's part of the plan of God. God saved you so that the world, that unseen world can learn. And again, they learn a lot about God, don't they? When, when the holy angels watch me fail God and they look at God's response to me, they learn something about God, don't they? They're learning how much God loves us. And by the way, I don't want to get too deep into this because this is really fascinating. We could spend a lot of time here. When the angels, all the way back in the beginning, when the angels fell and rebelled against God, they never got a second chance. They were condemned forever. When mankind rebelled against God in the garden... God gave him, them grace and love and a second chance. So the angels sit there and learn that kind of stuff. And Paul said, that's one of the roles of the church. That's one of the reasons God has you here. It's one of the things that you and I get to do every day and every week. And then he goes on. Notice what he says. He takes it a little bit further. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. I'm going to stop here and, and again, put you in first century. In first century, there are many gods everywhere. You lived in fear of the gods. When you made an offering to the God, you lived in fear of the idea that, will my God accept this? Will my God? You had to be very careful about the words that you used. They had books of incantations that gave you word for word what you should say to different gods at different times. In the book of Ephesians, they took those books and burned them. And so Paul, literally this idea of you can now come boldly, a better translation is that you can speak freely. You have freedom of speech to God. And you can come confidently into God's presence. The other idea is this. When you approach the gods that everybody else was worshiping, you went in there with fear that that God wouldn't be mad at you. And so you gave them offerings and money and all kinds of things to say, okay, God, maybe I can make that God happy so he won't, so that he will give us rain. So it won't be so dry. Paul says, no, no, the God that you serve, the God that you have in Christ, that God, you can boldly tell him what you, what you need to tell him, and you can come into his presence boldly 
without that fear that all of the other people are, are surrounded by. Can, can I say this for some of you who are reluctant to pray because you're worried that you're going to say the wrong thing? Speak freely. There's nothing wrong with telling God how you feel. I can't tell you the number of times I've started prayer. Okay, Lord, here's what's going on, and you just need to know I don't like this. And I really want it changed. But I want what you want for me, not what I want for me. So if you're not going to change it, you're going to have to help me with it. But God, I'm, I'm going to be really candid with you. I, I, I want this changed because I think this is a bad deal. You go, you really pray like that? Yes. Have you ever thought about it for a minute? God knows your thoughts, right? So if God knows my thoughts, he knows I'm already thinking it. Why don't I just say it? You know, oh, so you're going to come to him and go, oh, Father, who art in heaven, who has created all things, you know, um, I can't really, you know, again, you're going to go, thank you for what's come into my life. You're lying and he knows it. So speak freely, speak boldly. Let God talk to God out of your heart, not out of some formula or ritual. Or Paul says, look, you can come boldly and confidently before God. That's, that, that's one of the riches you have in Christ. That's what God has done. You don't have to do that whole, I'm afraid of the God thing. And then notice what he says. So please, please, don't lose heart because of my trials here. Paul says, look, yes, I'm in prison. Yes, I'm probably going to die because of what I have done. But so what? Don't lose heart. Don't get all upset because I'm in prison, because this has happened to me. Notice what he said. I am here suffering for you. I'm here because I took the gospel to the Gentiles, and you're a Gentile, Ephesian people. You should feel honored because I feel honored that God's using me. You ought to feel honored that I get to do this for you. Uh, This is a guy in prison saying, you know what? My circumstances are okay because it's going to benefit you. It's not about me, it's about you. And that's how he ends this passage. So let's, let's, wrap, let's wrap it up with a couple of applications to help us as we go this week. Um, here's the first lesson. The first lesson, I think, he started out in this passage has to do with humility. Um, when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, there is a progression in his life. Um, most of us were brought up in a church or in a, in a religious system where it was like, okay, the holy, the really holy people, the really godly people that, quote unquote, have their act together or we think they have their act together, they're the ones who go around telling you how you should live and what you should do. And the more holy or righteous you become, the more you're entitled to be able to do that. that that's the world some of us grew up in. It's a world that, that I, I'm very familiar with. Um, that's not the world of Paul. What's interesting in the life of Paul is this, is, is this. One of the early books that Paul wrote is 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, here's what Paul says. I am the least of the apostles. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul's idea is, I'm an apostle, but I'm, the, I'm like the low apostle. Okay, That's my humility. 
Okay? We get to Ephesians, which is kind of the middle of Paul's life. And Paul says, I'm the least of the least of the God's people of God's saints. So Paul says, I'm a saint, but I'm like the least of the least saints. Okay? So he's still kind of humble. Okay? That's an aspect of humility. The last book that Paul writes is 2 Timothy. And that's the last book that he writes. That's where, you know, um, I fought a good fight. I finished the faith, blah, 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 blah. But before that, you know what he says? I'm the chief of all sinners. So here's what you find. In the life of Paul, the more Paul grows as a Christian and the more Paul ages as a Christian, the more Paul starts to realize that, you know what? Um, I, I'm, I'm just lucky to be a part of this thing. There's an incredible humility on Paul's part the closer he gets to God because it's the more he understands about God the more he understands about himself, and the more he understands on how far apart those two really are. It's not the idea that the longer you become a Christian, the closer you get towards holiness and you become more and more holy. Read any of the, 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 the old writers, and here's what you'll find. The closer they get to, 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 to living for God, the farther away they realize how far short they fall. They are not critical, judgmental people. There are people who realize, I am saved by the grace of God. I don't understand why, but I'm so glad God did it. I'm not about to tell you how to get your ducks in order. I'm just thrilled that God allowed me to be here. And you see this incredible humility on their part. Be careful. Because some of you look at it as, well, the more holy a person is, um, the more judgmental or critical they are. And, and really, I think you find just the opposite true in Scripture. The more you learn about God, the more you realize how much God has really done for you. And, and, and like Paul said, by the time he gets to the end of his life, it's not, I'm an apostle, I'm the least of the least saints. It's the, I'm the biggest sinner on the face of the planet. But God saved me and I'm going to heaven and I just thank him for it. That's the progression you see in Paul. The second idea is this. The angels are watching. And they're learning this week from us. They're learning how to glorify God, or they're learning how to be effective in hindering our walk with God. But they're learning. I like what one writer said. He said, um, basically, it is a play that is going on in this world. God is the director. His people, his church, are the actors. And the angels are the audience. And they watch and learn as we play out God's plan for this world. And they're learning. And they're, they're, they're learning things about God. They're learning things about us as they watch us. One writer said it this way, and I love what he said. He said, um, the church and God's people is God's graduate program for the angels. It's how they learn about God. It's how they learn about us. And I want to challenge you this week because it's so easy for you to think your life doesn't count, your life doesn't matter, nobody's watching, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. There's an unseen world in which they're watching us. 
And we have an opportunity to glorify God in our decisions this week, in our choices. Or we have an opportunity to follow that which does not glorify and does not honor God. And every decision we make, every opportunity we have this week falls into one of those two categories. And you go, yeah, but you know, you know I just, I, I don't know that God could use me. Oh, no, no, no. God can use all of us. That's the whole point of it. And Paul says, one of the things that you and I get to do is we get to flesh out God's plan for the world so that they can see Christ, not the church, not, not us, but they can see Christ in us. And the last thing that he talks about is this idea of don't lose heart. Look, I know at times it gets overwhelming and you go, you know, I just don't know, you know, there's so much that's happened in my life. It's just really hard to hang on to God, hang on to my faith, to hang on to those kinds of things. Here's what I would say to you. Don't lose heart. Understand that God is at work doing something bigger than you and I ever could imagine. And, and what we tend to focus on is that one little piece or that one little section of our lives where God has this whole different viewpoint of, of the whole of, of, of the deal. Um, I mentioned it, I think, last week or the week before. It's, it, it's, it's like a puzzle. You know, I'm not a puzzle person, okay? But I, I know that when you buy a puzzle in a box, one of the things that, you know, first of all, you don't buy puzzles I mean, some of you might, but you don't buy puzzles from consignment shops or things like that because you don't know if all the pieces are there until you put it all together. So when I buy a puzzle for my wife, I make sure it's in a sealed box or I get it from somebody that I know has all the pieces there, okay? But you automatically assume when you buy it from a store that all the pieces are there and you automatically assume that all the pieces fit. And you automatically assume that there's a plan and it all goes together. Now, we do that with a puzzle. Don't you think the God of the universe is smarter than a puzzle company? I mean, you, you put your confidence in some company that made a bunch of cardboard pieces and put color on it so that it makes a picture, and that you buy it and go, it'll all fit together. And then when God does things in your life, you're like, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if God's going to fit. I don't know if he's got a plan. I don't know if he's abandoned me. I don't know if he's going to give me all the pieces. He's God. He has a plan and he has a purpose. And, and, and it's important for you and I to learn to trust him. Paul, these people write Paul going, Paul, we don't understand why this bad thing, you being in prison, is happening. That's a bad thing. It shouldn't happen, Paul. You should be upset, Paul. We're upset for you, Paul, since you won't be upset. And Paul writes her back and goes, time out. It's not about me. It's about God's plan, and this is part of God's plan. And because of this, the gospel is going to the Gentiles, and you got to, see, you got to receive the gospel, and you have a church that's going on, and your church is going to help other churches. And if part of that means I have to go to jail, or if I even have to die because of it, that's awesome. Because God's using me, and this is how God wants to use me. It's not about me. It's about what God can do in my circumstances and situation. So they're sitting there saying, why would this happen? And Paul's sitting there going, this is how I see God using it. And that's, that, to me, I think is a help. It's very easy when things happen in our lives to go, why, God? 
I try to ask a better question. God, how can you use this to be honored and glorified? How can you use my response to let other people see Christ in me? How can you use this, God? Not, God, deliver me from this. Get me out of this. This shouldn't happen to me. That's where we all want to go. I get it. I go there too. But I try to make it a very short jump and a very quick jump from why did this happen to how, God, can we use this? Some of you, I was sharing this with somebody this week, some of you have been through some really hard stuff, some gut-wrenching stuff. And here's the incredible thing. You've come through it. And you're in the process of getting through it. The ultimate goal is as you work your way through it, and as you continue to live with it, that you ultimately can take that and share that and help somebody else. That's the ultimate goal. As, as Rick Warren says, God never wastes a hurt. We do, he doesn't. And he wants us to be able to use the hurt and the struggle and the pain and the difficulty to help somebody else. That's the ultimate goal for whatever you and I go through. And that's what Paul's attitude is. He goes, he goes this isn't about me being in prison, guys. You ought to feel honored that you got to hear the gospel because of this. I don't care if I got to go to prison, if I got to die, that's all right. It's awesome that God uses me to help you. And you should feel honored that God wants you to be helped. That's what Paul said. And I want to challenge you because that is a very difficult step to make, but it is a very important step to work towards. So I end this morning with this idea. We wrap it all up with this concept. Paul is amazed that God saved him and is using him. He realizes his sufferings are an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. His focus is on how God can use his circumstances. Why is this happening to me is seen through the eyes of how God can be glorified. Paul isn't focused on how Paul can be spared hardship. I mean, we have the same attitude as we go through hard times, that God can be seen in us. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, this is one of those things that it's easy to talk. It is hard to do. Lord, each of us has a sense of entitlement unto the life that we think that we are entitled to. And Lord, each of us has a way that we think everything should be. But Lord, that's all about us. Can you help us, Lord, as we try to go through this week to make it about you? May we do the things that honor you, not necessarily the things that are easiest for us. May you help us, Lord, that as we focus on our struggles and our hardship and our difficulty and suffering and tough times, that, Lord, in those times, in those situations, we will look for ways to help people see you as they watch us. And when it is all said and done, Lord, when we all stand before you one day and the puzzle is complete, may we be able to say that with our lives we did the best we could to honor and glorify you and carry out your plan for the world to see Christ in us. These things we ask in your name. Amen.